Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. On this episode, Pastor Matt Bach and I are live from the Albright Institute in Jerusalem, Israel. We have the privilege of being joined by Cynthia Schaefer-Elliott. Cynthia is a associate professor of Hebrew Bible and archaeology at William Jessup University and is currently serving as the Frerichs Annual Professor here at the Albright Institute. We're going to talk biblical archaeology, we're going to talk about some of her research, and we're going to talk about the implications of the field of archaeology. Theology, uh, for all of us who are Christ followers. All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right, well, welcome to season one, episode 26 of the Engaging Culture podcast in Israel. The only time we will probably ever do it in Israel this year. I think that is a fair statement that this is our only Israel podcast. Well, considering every other podcast is from a studio in Rockland. This is a little yeah, it's one of the few times we're, we're live off campus. <laughs> pretty, pretty exciting pretty far. to do that. Very far. So uh, I'm Pastor Brian, Pastor Matt. We are joined by Cynthia Schaefer-Elliott. Cynthia, you work at a place where I have lunch twice a month. I'm so glad I could travel halfway around the world to get a chance to meet you. <laughs> we have a great cafeteria. Yes, yes, you do. Best, best restaurant in, uh, yeah. in, in, in Rockland. So what's interesting is that uh, Matt and I were discussing this this afternoon, is that amongst the three of us, we have three very different kind of perspectives on Israel. Uh, you, this is your profession. And how many, how, I don't know, do you, have you even kept count? How many trips to Israel is this for you? I have lost count, but I have been coming since 1995. Okay. Uh, when I was an undergrad, so that's dating me. Um, <laughs> but I've been coming most summers to work since 2000. Wow. Okay. And then Matt, this is trip number five for you. How is how is this one compared to some of the others? Oh, this it's been great again because every time you know all of us are getting more and more excited about what you find, what we talk about, everything that's going on, and it's always fun seeing the aha moments that you get as somebody that's yeah. like looking at stuff or talking about a dig or talking about a site. But then also seeing other people that are like, their questions are drawing them in. And, yeah. and you, I mean, that's kind of, this is your first time time here, and that's part of how you're feeling. So why don't you tell us also, you know, as your uh, maiden voyage. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the word I keep using is surreal. That, uh, you know, Matt, you and I have had, obviously, the opportunity to talk about this trip a lot. I'd bug you with questions and, and everything else. Everyone else has to use email. I can bug you in person all the time, which is fantastic. But... Um, it's just surreal. I mean, even today on the southern steps of of the temple and or the temple mount, and to think about, gosh, this maybe was a place where Jesus spoke. This maybe was a place where uh, Peter spoke. You know, there were different times where our tour guide has said, "Hey, how many times do I tell you this is a place where Jesus walked?" You know, not that many, but this is probably one of them. It, it it's incredible. And all these places that, of course, I've studied, I've learned about in school, I've preached about, or different especially Bible passages I've preached about where it's like, oh, hey, there's the, the valley where we think David and Goliath happened. It's It's been just unbelievable. Yeah, it's kind of like when somebody gets a puzzle and you dump out the box and you have all these pieces and you start, um, I'm getting pushed more into the middle. <laughs> get, get, get here. <laughs> you know, and you start putting the pieces together and like for somebody that first pours it out and you realize there's a picture that you're going to get, it's exciting. And then when you have like it on your table and you have like, 
an eighth of it done. <laughs> and I feel like that's like kind of where I am. And I know like for Cynthia, it's like, you know, to spend the time looking at each of the pieces and seeing how it fits yeah. and the bigger the picture gets and the more that, that feeds in, right? Like, yeah. like, you know, I and mean, I you, think if I were to keep up with that analogy, my puzzle is now like one of those ones with gazillions of pieces yeah. <laughs> you know you're one of those really people that does a 50,000 piece you know? puzzle <laughs> literally like, oh this is driving me crazy but at the same time it's amazing and as professors you know because you teach at Jessup and I teach at Jessup and you teach at your church and you preach it and teach at church it's just you get to see those aha moments in church and in the classroom and I love those aha moments in those settings I really do but it's so different when it's here and you get to see that kind of like oh it's more than an aha moment it's more like a oh wow this is rocking my world kind of moment Mm -hmm. well and that's been really neat to see on the trip uh is just the you know, seeing that happen with different people in our group and seeing, you know, just the extent to which everybody is really just amazed by yeah. everything that they're seeing and how these passages are coming to life in a new way is, is pretty phenomenal. So these trips are transformative. Yeah. Whether you're coming on a tour like this or whether you're coming as a class. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we realize the more you start looking into all of this, you start realizing so many gaps that when they become filled, <laughs> it, it just, it gets yeah. you really excited. It yeah. gets you, it, and then that, that aha, that transformation mm-hmm. starts going, I, I want to search out more. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And that's, and that's part of what we want to talk to you about yeah. is like that search became your vocation and your calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and absolutely. then, and then again, like in the, in the professor role, you know, you're teaching mm-hmm. others how to, how to, you know, live into that calling mm-hmm. and to take skills and abilities. And that amazes us. Cause you know, when we're at sites and you're going, man, the amount of time mm-hmm. and the amount of money and the amount of commitment to getting those answers to those gaps, because then it opens eyes. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So uh, as we're starting to get into it, can you just maybe briefly give our listeners a little bit of a sense of your uh, your background? How did you, what drew you to the field of, of archaeology? How did, how did you get to the place where now you're mm-hmm. sitting here in the Albright Institute in, in Jerusalem and, and, and made this your vocation? I'm sure that we could easily fill the hour with that, <laughs> yeah, but maybe give probably. us just kind of a, an overview of all that. Sure. Um, Well, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home. Uh, My parents had become uh, Christians when I was about five. And when they did, we practically, our church was our second home. And my parents just dove right in and we were with them. (laughs) But um, I always just loved reading and learning about the Bible and went, was lucky enough to go to the, the private school there too. And so I was just, Bible was, and scripture was just all around me, but I loved it. And, um, I never was good at school. I wasn't, if I'm being totally honest with you, I wasn't, I was never good at school and I was loved history. Um, but when I went to college, I went to, um, Simpson College up in Reading, 
and kind of just went there because I hadn't applied <laughs> anywhere else <laughs> and I was ready. <laughs> it, was, it was my default. It was my, it was my only option because that was the only one I applied to. And it's I was like, an easy choice. Well, I was like, I, I need, I, I was at the age where you're like, I need to, I need to go. You know, I need to do my own thing for a bit. And I was like, oh, well, I got it. I'll go. So I went. And, you know, being as a kid, you know, they say your brain is like a sponge. And being a kid growing up in the church and school and just reading my Bible every day and just underlining the strangest things in my Bible. But um, being in that first Old Testament class, it was like somebody was ringing my sponge-like brain out and all of this stuff came flooding back and I was like man I know a lot of this stuff I mean I wouldn't say I knew even close to what the professor knew but mm-hmm. I was like wow I know this and I loved it and I couldn't get enough of it wow and I've been pursuing it ever since wow so okay that's okay it in well, a nutshell. all right there you are. So what? So to kind of amplify that more. So what? So what started getting you though? Like you, be, you've you've become quite an emphasis in the household, especially of Tel Halif oh, mm-hmm. and Khalif. We have to. <laughs> you have to really pronounce things. Uh, and and so like you know what was the the bridge like the the leap because you went to other sites before then. But then there was something that that started drawing you into certain pieces, food items, other items in the household. Well, you know, I was, um, my PhD, I was doing, I was always fascinated with um, the cultural, historical and cultural context. And um, that was, I took class on it as an undergrad and I came here as an undergrad and did my first dig for a day. Uh, when I came and I just thought this archaeology stuff, I never even thought about archaeology before as much as I loved history. I'm like, this is history that you can touch, Hmm, that you can see and you can touch. And I like, I really like this. And it was really hard work, but so I kept pursuing it. And then when I was working on my PhD, I had been digging for quite a while Um, but I was always just more drawn to the daily life. And so when I was looking at, when I was doing my PhD and I wanted to look at daily life, I wanted to pick one aspect of daily life that maybe hadn't been looked at very much. Cause not at that point, not a lot of people were doing daily life and especially hardly anyone was doing food. The only people that were really doing food were people who were looking at food from like feasting. And feasting is more elite. It's not every day. It's extraordinary. Uh, And so um, I just was working on my proposal for my PhD application and it just kind of hit me. It was maybe divine inspiration. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And I just like, oh, and I researched a bit and it's like, and I emailed my soon-to-be advisor and she's like this is great because I was also really interested in in like the daily life of women but I also didn't want I wanted to expand it because I, I, I didn't want to just get a job in like gender studies type of thing I wanted to be able to get into a biblical studies or um you know, a theology department, whatever, and do what I do, but look at the big picture of daily life of Israel uh, as it is in in the Hebrew Bible. And so when I was doing my PhD, one of the houses that I looked at 
Uh, I wanted to look at houses and the food items that are in these houses and com- do some comparison and then talk about how you find them in the Hebrew Bible. Not taste them so much. No, just try to find no, them. no, no. <laughs> I'm a picky eater, ironically. <laughs> You're like, why would they eat this? Yes, why? This is ridiculous. Yes. Why would you do that to yourself? So my family finds it really funny that I focused on food being like the pickiest eater. You don't even like family. this stuff. So, You're studying it. So oh, I just... So one day, I, I I got my I was teaching at Jessup. My my book was published. My dissertation was published as a book, uh, "Food in Ancient Judah." In case you're having trouble sleeping, <laughs> you can pick it up at Amazon for a very high amount of money. Um, <laughs> but yay, academic literature. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so one day, the dig director of one of the sites that I had analyzed at Khalif, his name is Oded Borowski, and in my little world, he's very well known. And um, when I saw his email and I saw the first few lines in the preview part, it said, Hi, Cynthia, I've been reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I was well, I won't tell you what I said, but I was <laughs> I was I was I was just like, "Oh my gosh, what have I done wrong?" Because I looked at <laughs> this one is of it, my career is right, over. <laughs> I thought, "Oh no, what did I do? I've done something wrong. He's reviewing my book. This is horrible." <laughs> so I had to compose myself and I finally read the email and it says Hi, Cynthia, I've been reading your book. Um, we're opening up the excavations at Khalif again, and I thought you might be interested in, because um, we're doing household archaeology, and you're interested in houses and daily life, and that's what we do. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. So um, so that's how I got connected with Khalif. At, at that time, I was digging at Tel Asafi, which is biblical Gath, or Gat, Goliath's hometown, and I was ex- I was in supervising the so-called Philistine Temple, um, which is is fascinating and wonderful, but um, it wasn't it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So um, I went over to Khalif. This new project, a little more, a little more up your alley. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. Now, if we can just back up a little bit, we've talked a little bit about your current work and how you've gotten into it and the project and all of that. Mm-hmm. You and I had a chance to speak briefly last night and we we're talking about how, uh, I mean, archeology span as a discipline, as a subject is, I suspect a subject that people kind of think they understand, but mm-hmm. most of us really don't. Mm-hmm. We ha- don't have a detailed understanding at all of kind of what is an archaeologist doing out there? I mean, you're digging around in the dirt, but obviously uh, it's not Indiana Jones. No. Right? Yeah, or it's not, Croft not, or... not Indiana Jones, but it's, I mean, I wouldn't mind if Harrison Ford was on my day. Well, but... you know, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah <laughs> for his excavation skills, right. obviously. Uh, but um, I mean, again, another question we could spend an hour on, mm-hmm. but uh, maybe what are some elements of, of the field, the elements of the work that maybe the general public that mm-hmm. just has a, you know, the sort of understanding of archaeology that you get from Indiana Jones and Laura sure. Croft, maybe yeah. what's something that we don't understand? Well, I think that, I think you can say that with really about any discipline, really, and not even just... Yeah, a, that's or, true. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, if I was talking with a physicist, I would be Oh, I don't know. You know, it's just, I would be that I have no idea asking questions that they would probably think are really simple, (laughs) but to me would be really 
difficult. Um, so within archaeology, um, you know, archaeology, depending on what geographical location you work on or what time period you're working on, it's going to be different. It's not the same everywhere. I mean, yes, we have a lot of the same methods in theory, but in practice, what we call field archaeology really can vary depending on, like if you're doing Mesoamerican archaeology, it's going to be on a much smaller scale than if you're doing it here in the ancient Near East. Um, here, we are mostly excavating tells and so a tell is basically an artificial mound that is layers of a buried city. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, that's been the focus of most of archaeology in this region, um, and that has its own history uh, behind that. But um, so we move a lot of dirt, <laughs> a lot of dirt, and it's. It's a lot of manual labor. I think people don't realize how hard of work it is. Um, the first time I went as a student and they handed me a pickaxe, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> what do I do with this? And what do I do with yes, the with stuff this. I'm exactly. digging? Which, so, what do I do now? <laughs> but it's a very slow process. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. So at Khalif, for example, we've been excavating there off and on for 40 years, over 40 years now. Um, and it's, it's a slow process because you have to document everything. So if you're interested, you, you don't just go into it just to dig. You have, um, you have to get permits. You have to get funding. You have to um, get volunteers, uh, both of which we take gladly from others, funding and volunteers, <laughs> uh, if you're interested. Um, and, you know, you teach, we teach people on site. We have these field schools where we teach you on site. And I honestly think that every... Um, Bible professor, theologian, but especially Bible professors um, should have at least one season of dig work because, and I'm glad of this, but a lot of scholars are using archaeology who have very little to no um, experience with the data and how the data is recorded and how it's published and how to interpret it. Um, and so, and that's fine. However, it would be really beneficial to them if they did one season of dig experience and saw, okay, this is what they mean when we talk about layers and how you approach these layers and what's a locus and all this other stuff. So there's lots of method to the madness. <laughs> and I think one of the key words that you just said was the interpretation. So when people don't have any access to the methodology right. or the form or the practice, mm -hmm. then they're really just picking and choosing interpretations yes. without context. Right. And so, and so that's why, and I, I think, you know, Cynthia's role is she doesn't just do archeology, span but she also teaches Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, and so with doing Hebrew Bible, like that's always trying to help people see the bridge yes. in between it. And I remember, you know, doing old Testament studies when I was an undergrad and being like, Oh, this is so amazing. And this is so amazing. And then doing that in a master's program and then 
coming to Israel and realizing, okay, there were so many things I'd read and I went, that's interesting. And then when you connected it, it made a bigger difference. Right. It really opened up your eyes. And it's because the interpretation now has a context behind right. it that you understand how they right. got to that interpretation or why it's debated on yes, whether or not that interpretation is exactly. right. And and yeah. I think that's, and sometimes we're afraid to do that in the church mm-hmm. and in with texts is to go, no, no, this is the interpretation. But then you don't realize, um, you know, how the background from yes. the finds actually maybe questions that. Yes. Like, like, like the whole idea of Jesus being a tecton, yeah. right? And how, you know, you don't really understand the difference between a carpenter mm-hmm. that a lot of us think, you know, and Jesus a is and a, and a stonemason mm-hmm. or a builder, right. which, you know, archaeological finds. And when you come around Israel, you realize they work with stone. <laughs> and, you know. Oh, there's no wood here. <laughs> yeah. One of many examples within that. Well, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's one thing that I I tell our students a lot is that people think that archaeology is just, oh, that's just the interpretation. There's just one interpretation. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, archaeology is just like any other discipline where there are multiple interpretations of one thing. I mean, when I'm in the field and, you know, my dig director and I are looking at something and there's just the two of us, but there's like five different opinions, <laughs> you know, yeah. interpretations of this. And yeah. and so it's not black and white. It's mm-hmm. not cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all different. Um, and it's gonna, it's, you're going to have people who have different opinions on different things and right. they're all looking at the same material. Yeah. And even, even if we're talking Bible and archeology, span it's not maybe as clean as we would like necessarily. Right. Yeah. Literally and, and figured. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is literally, there's a lot of dirt, dirt <laughs> yeah. involved really. So I, I'd be interested in hearing you speak a little bit more. And Matt kind of spoke to this a second ago, just in, in his life, but, uh, you're a professor of Hebrew Bible and a professor of archeology, span which for those who, who maybe aren't familiar with the vernacular Hebrew Bible, old Testament, right. um, right. how has your work in each of those disciplines informed or helped your work in the other? Cause I would imagine mm-hmm. there's very Absolutely. significant overlap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are we okay here? We're good good on audio, having some issues with our video, but that's all right. Audio is what matters most. Um, yeah, it, it really does. Um, I think, um, it's helpful when you're teaching for students when they can, we're so visual nowadays and when you're teaching, (laughs) <laughs> you having visuals is helpful, but having visuals that are, um, you know, your own visuals, like, hey, this is my site, this is what I found. Um, I think there's a level of um, trust that you know, students have for professors, but when they see that you're doing the work, you know, whether these are your photos from Israel or this is a photo of something that I've found on a dig. And I know from firsthand experience, I'm not just repeating to you what's in your textbook. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> um, but this is, it's, it's real, it's tangible, it's something that they um, say, wow, 
my professor does this. My professor goes to Israel. My professor digs. My professor does this. And we've got so many professors at Jessup that are doing lots more hands-on things, and that's all fantastic. Um, but to be able to say, okay, this isn't just from the textbook. This is real life. You actually know someone who's doing this, and hopefully you can trust me and my what I think of this um, you may or may not agree with it but um, I think there is a level of I think there's more trust on the students part when when you can talk from experience about these things would you agree well I would think so and that it, it increases your credibility yeah significantly because like you said you know you're not just quoting from a textbook but mm -hmm. you're you're talking about land that you've walked you're talking mm -hmm. about areas you've excavated or or even even I would think from a, a peer level of of the fact that you have a lot of peers in the archaeological mm -hmm. circles that maybe somebody who didn't have expertise in that area wouldn't have there's just right. access to to information and resources and understanding that again if you're if you're focused only in the one discipline, maybe you don't have that same level of access. Sure. I mean, I mean, I'm just making some assumptions here. Right. Well, here, and I've but got colleagues from all sorts of different time periods, and I can, you know, say, "Hey, what about this? And what about that?" And you know, we we overlap somewhat, but they're you know they're more experienced in different time periods that I necessarily don't work in, but they're my colleagues. Yeah. You know, and so to be able to tell. You know, I've got a student who connected her with you know different excavations because she's different, look interested in different time periods than mm -hmm. what I work in. And yeah. so she's like, oh, okay, here's this person. You can work with them. You can work at them. So having that network is really helpful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So I, I want to take us kind of from the level of the the professional and the scholarly uh, down to kind of the every person level here a little mm -hmm. bit. And just talking about, I mean, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about uh, archaeological work on, you know, sites that have some biblical significance, mm -hmm. and and you know, obviously a range of work you've done throughout your career in sort of the the field of, of archaeology focused on areas that are relevant to the Bible. Uh, just for you as a Christian, how has your work in archaeology affected the way that you read the Bible, and even maybe even the way that you think about and relate to God? I think it'd be sure. for for people to hear about. Yeah, you know, I think about that a lot because it's real easy to get just so involved in the whole academic side of things. It really is. And I love the academic side. I really do. But you can't do this kind of work without it impacting you both spiritually, emotionally, um, you, of course, physically with the excavations, it's going to um, impact you. Um, but... I never, it never ceases to amaze me when I'm here. Um, I'm always amazed when I, I'm here in one way or another. And I was telling some of your, um, your members out there that came for the tour, um, they were talking about, you know, oh, when you find things. And I, I say, well, you know, sometimes when you find, let's say, a pot, Maybe it's even just part of a pot. Maybe it's just the handle and a little bit of the body of a pot. So they would make the pot on a wheel, 
but they would, and they would make the handles on a mold, but then they would have to press the handles by hand. And so when you are excavating, you're the first person to see or touch something in thousands of years. This has been in the dirt, just laying there for thousands of years. And that just gets me every time. And then when I find a pot and a handle and I tell my students, put your fingers here and you can feel where the potter had pressed the handle. And sometimes, sometimes you can even see a thumbprint from the person who made that pot thousands of years ago. May or may not be the person who used the pot, but at least they made, they made it. And to feel where their hands were and to see their thumbprint, it makes it human, right? And to think about how, you know, this God we serve is the God of all humanity of all time. Mm -hmm. And how I think what, what we do as far as biblical studies and archaeology it connects us to the past in ways that you don't get in most of your regular life. You know, when we read scripture, we think, oh, wow, that's really cool. And we always think about what scripture means to us. But if you do any kind of proper biblical studies, <laughs> biblical exegesis, you know, before the hermeneutic, you got to do the exegesis. And you got to ask those questions. What did this mean to them? Yeah. Right? And the archaeology helps with that helps it puts skin on it and it helps you remember that okay this god we serve is the god of yesterday today and the future i have one thing first <laughs> don't you take that mic from me <laughs> yeah no it's it's really powerful because we, you know we recognize as christians when we're engaging with you know the word and the biblical text that we were engaging with an, an supernatural god mm. But then you're reminded as you are drawing all this stuff out that these are very real human people. Yes. They are not all these superstars that we sometimes right. think or they had a better grasp mm -hmm. on on day-to-day -day life or mm -hmm. they don't understand what I'm going through. It's mm -hmm. like, no, you, you see that become drawn out. Yeah. And I think that's also what makes your field also very specific in terms of household because a lot of us, I mean, if people were to just go and evaluate our worship spaces, mm -hmm. which is what a lot of archaeology will cover, mm -hmm. temple and cultic sites, mm -hmm. or our our um, things that we use to protect ourselves, mm -hmm. walls and that. Again, that doesn't actually speak as much to what happens in the day-to-day. -day. Right. And the day-to-day -day is where, you know, we talk about it in our Christian faith now, right? That's where so much happens is in the routine right. and in the day-to-day -day and watching. And so you're getting a chance to see, and sometimes it's very normal. You're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, they used a bowl. Yeah. Like I used a bowl. <laughs> but then sometimes you Here, find one and it says, it says Kodesh and it says holy. And now you go, okay, now that oh. bowl's different. And now it, it's a whole new, right. new, whole new piece. And right. you know, and there's more within that. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, what you shared about kind of how discovering these things humanizes it for you. I mean, I, I just think that's really beautiful. And I mean, it's funny, I, you know, here I am walking, walking this land for the first time. I'm basically an educated tourist, right? I don't, I don't really know anything except that I have some theological education so I can make some sense. Right. Maybe, maybe up like a half step above. Yeah. You're just sort of, but you're you know, also here to learn. Oh, yeah. no question. Yeah. And you know, I, seeing all these sites and it's funny 
seeing even ruins, like I see toppled columns and I mm-hmm. think, you know, what, what, what happened that day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that was probably a bad, yes. that was probably a bad day. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Their like, worst day yeah. is what we're uncovering. Is what, is what we're uncovering. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, book title. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> discovering their worst day. Discovering their worst day. I am looking day. for An another book project. Introduction to archaeology. Introductions. <laughs> yeah. My that's thanks right. to Matt. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think yeah. What what happened that day? Uh, which is just kind of a weird, somewhat morbid thought, admittedly. It would have been uh, a bad day. Yeah. I also think about how glad I am to live in the 21st century and not yes. say back then. Yeah. But. There is something kind of oddly transcendent about seeing some of these artifacts where, Mm -hmm. like you said, it humanizes it. Mm -hmm. Like these are not simply words on a page. This is, this is real life. This is, I mean, you know, it's such a cliche, so forgive me for using it, but the Bible was not just dropped out of heaven, that this happened in real time and place with real people, with real struggles, with, um... Anyway, just I, I find what you what you're saying about thinking about you know the thumbprint or the the pot or the bowl. I, I don't know. I find that very moving, mm-hmm. and I think that it's powerful to 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 learn to read the Bible specifically, but to learn to read history in general, right? Through that lens. And another way to look to piggyback off of that, another way of of kind of another path to go down um, is is that you when we're excavating so the bible old testament you know we we know it's it's not a book it's a collection of books it's an anthology right but each book in of itself is a collection of material quite possibly spanning a large amount of time but we hear a lot about how the bible you know it's it it talks about what I say is, is the Bible talks about the monumental. It's the monumental people, places, events, and things. It's not the everyday. The Bible is not really showing everyday life in ancient Israel very much. It does to a certain extent, but it's not what it's about unless it's part of the story. So it's mostly written by, by men, right? So because men were the more, they were the literate ones. But it's not just ordinary men, it's elite, probably urban men. So it's the everyday man, woman, and child that gets ignored. And not intentionally like you're trying to be mean or something it's like that's that's not the point the point isn't to provide your aunt josephine's recipes on how to make the best lamb stew or they something they found that at tel khalif so uh <laughs> they do have uh, it's a great recipe they do have babylonian culinary tablets but that's see? another thing see um, <laughs> a joke becomes very real in archaeology um so um it's what archaeology does is it helps to uncover what isn't covered in the Bible. Yeah. You see? Yeah, fills in gaps. It fills in the gaps. Yeah. And it, it may and it probably provides more information than the text does, but um, 
I think the text is like an artifact, you know, in that, mm-hmm. in that you should be using textual resources to help us understand ancient Israel. So whether it's the Hebrew Bible and archaeology, or whether it's the Hebrew Bible, archaeology, and other ancient Near Eastern texts, um, you know, we've got loads of different things we can use. And I'm of the opinion you should be using everything at your disposal to understand ancient Israel better. Yeah. Which I think leads really well into our, our, our next question discussion piece or whatever, which really has to do with how archaeology can really help with biblical literacy. Mm. Because a lot of us, we already have a struggle just to engage with yes. the Bible yes. that we've heard the story before right. or, or we just don't have the time, right? Sure. We, can, we can go through all the reasons, but, but then there's something about when you start integrating archaeology, when you start integrating some of these contextual pieces, suddenly the literacy doesn't only increase, but the desire mm-hmm. to want to read, learn, hear more mm-hmm. makes a difference. So, mm-hmm. you know, how, how would you speak into that too, Cynthia? And you, Brian, as well. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question because that is, that's a, it's become a, a problem within, um, you know, our, our churches. And even at Jessup, I, we can't expect students to have any kind of experience with the Bible whatsoever. Yeah. Often and it's like a two out of 10, most students will admit in a class, yeah, for at least mine. Yeah, so. it's, it, it's kind of hard. I mean, I it's kind of hard for me to say because, again, it depends on the class and who's in that class and the dynamics and everything and who's willing to admit it, like you said. Yeah. Um, because they're usually freshmen and they, you know, are shy and intimidated and they don't want to admit that they don't know any well that they don't know (laughs) what they're talking about but you can't even assume that they've opened a bible before Mm -hmm. and we've talked a lot about this when we get together for our teaching you know meals meals yeah (laughs) Um, again the study of food comes in really really key on these things but um i think I, I, and I tell my students this, you know, they can sit there and listen to me talk about it all the time, but they may disagree with something of my interpretation of things, and that's totally fine. But they need to read it for themselves, and they need to understand, they need to know why they disagree or what they're, you know, they don't have to know all the ins and outs of things, but you have to know what you think and why you think it. Yeah. Right? Um, so how archaeology helps, I mean, I think archaeology, there are a lot of people who are really interested in archaeology, and it might spur them to be more interested in the biblical text. If you can relate, you know, using photos or artifacts, if you're, if you're able to have access to, you know, shards or something like that, you know, relating it to showing them the, the real you know, that this is a real, these are real, this is a real place. This, um, it talks about, you know, people. It's not these made up, you know, people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, uh, and then events and all these things. And so it's, you can talk about, this isn't just something that you can, I don't think you should dismiss it because so much of our culture today whether they know it or not, which most of them don't, is informed and 
um, persuaded and and it's just part of our culture. The Bible has been part of Western culture in so many ways for so long. And how archaeology can help with that, you know, it, it helps with some people. It doesn't help with others because some people just aren't interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, that's obviously going to be true. And I think that's true of anything. Um, I, as I listen to you talk, I think there's a, obviously what you're saying is really important. I, I obviously can't speak to it from a archaeologist standpoint, but looking at it pastorally, looking at it as sort of an armchair theologian who is, as I mentioned, visiting the land for the first time, I, I have such a, a deep conviction, whether it's for myself or as you know, kind of a first generation Christian in a sense, who's figuring out how to raise his kids mm. in the Lord. Cause I just, I don't know how to do that. I've never seen it done, you uh-huh. know, at least not in a household. Uh-huh. Um, the sense of just trying to recover kind of what the Bible is in the sense of uh, Christianity is just not a Western religion. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> and, and the, the extent to which we're imposing our Western worldview upon it. Absolutely. I, I don't mean to say that it's there's absolutely no connection at all, because I think that would be to overstate it, sure. but to to recognize in a deeper way uh, that the Bible was written in Israel mm-hmm. and you know in surrounding places. Or Babylon. And or or Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> or, Israel, Babylon, yeah, etc. Yeah. I mean Israel, etc. Not, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, not I, I not, <laughs> not California no. is my point. Yeah. You know, and that, that it was written over here into, into this sort of a culture and to kind of put skin on the text mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then from there to begin to understand the broader story of kind of God's redeeming work through Israel, right. God's redeeming work in Christ. Because it's not all about you. Right, right. And it's even, it's not, you know, it's not the Bible answer book. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not God's love letter to you, which is, it's a very strange love letter, if that's what it is. I, I'm completely stealing that line from somebody. I don't remember who. But um, anyway, I, and, I, and I think that the work that people like you do is so important because it helps us... It helps us as pastors, and then in turn, I think, helps sure. everybody else to better understand the Bible for what it is. And right. I think in doing that, we better understand God and the way that he's chosen to reveal himself to humanity. Right. And you know, that's a really good point that you bring up, and it's one that I make with my academic friends all the time, is that um, people don't know what they don't know. Hmm. That's my big academic way of saying that. They don't know what they don't know. And we're done with, uh, that's all been stated clearly. And as people who have the luxury of being able to study this and have it, you know, just be what we do, it's, it is, it's a luxury, it's a blessing, um, but it's not going to do much good if the only people that I interact with or who read my stuff are other academics, because that's what most academics write to is other academics. You know, we write these big monographs or these papers or these presentations, and they're written for other academics. That's great, and that's part of the deal, and you've got to, you're doing peer review, you have to, it's kind of, you know, hey. It sharpens and builds. Sharpens and builds, and you say, are there any flaws in my argument here? You know, help me out here. But if we don't make what we do accessible to a wider audience, then what good is it 
it's it's going to stop. It's going to do good, but it's going to stop at some point. It's only going to go so far. And if we want it to trickle out into a much wider audience, then we also have to be um, presenting and writing uh, and speaking to other people, teaching um, in various ways at different locations, and whether it's a university or a church or you know a senior citizen's home or something, it's um, it's important. It's important that we do things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of you know I think a lot of times people get stuck on they put archaeology either in the boring category or the romanticized category mm-hmm. and and it's really hard for them to see the practical category right. of what it's building which is what we've been talking about um, and I find when people get when people see the excitement and the passion that comes from an informed mm-hmm. spiritual life and an informed um, biblical worldview mm-hmm. that comes because it's been it's be, it's be, it's been strengthened by archaeological influence and research and and it's not that everyone has to become like a hardcore archaeologist sure. but just to to know enough to see what it what it strengthens then then people when they when they see that passion excitement mm-hmm. then they go man i have way more faith in the text sure. of the bible i have way more faith in the the writing that mm-hmm. went into it and the, and the people's journey and in God's inspiration within it, and it, and now sure. and now it becomes something that you go, I want more of that, and that there's story behind the story. Yeah, yeah, and so it opens up, it opens up so many doors. It does, and uh, and then it does, you know, Brian, you had mentioned about it's not always an answer book, which is so true. But what's also fun is that when you do start engaging in archaeology, you find that it does become something that it's giving a greater and greater veracity to the historicity, the, the historical background mm. of the Bible, you know? So like, for instance, one of the sites we've went to is Tel Dan, mm-hmm. where, you know, before a find at Tel Dan on Estella, they didn't have any extra right. biblical reference to King David. Right. When you find that, now people that go, well, we think this is just their own. context, but. <laughs> it's still, it's an it's Aramean, still, it's an Aramean yeah, general a, yeah, talking absolutely. about it, but it's still, um, you know, a reference In fact, that. I met the lady who found it the other day. Oh, I read yes. about her finding it. The yeah. girl that found it glittering in the sun mm-hmm. and she holds it up and then the dig director comes over and goes, we have an inscription. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, that, that gives now some, some greater strength to people that try to say, well, no, the Bible's just, you know, a dogmatic mm-hmm. document. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, it's a brainwashing. You go, no, like this has historical validity. In fact, more than some other mm-hmm. historical things that we right. will teach in mm-hmm. schools, you know. And uh, and again, I think sometimes that can slide too far into fundamental mm-hmm. fundamentalism yeah. um, in terms of people go, oh, it's about... But that's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about when people see the progression of these finds and the strength and they get excited because sure. they go and they go, I want to see more of that. I want to hear more about that. Right. Yeah, no, I think, I, I mean, and I obviously agree with that and I think it's really important. And just to reiterate the reality that our God has worked in history, mm-hmm. that these are not, these aren't just parables that we kind of, that are just kind of imagined stories that God has given to us for wisdom, that these are things that, you know, as you're digging up, whatever whatever the case may be, like this, like this is the context in which kind of the story of God mm. took place. Right. So right. anyway, I think that's uh, exciting stuff. Matt, you got any more questions? 
No, but um, but I think it is good for us to highlight. Um, sometimes people want to learn just a little bit more, and Cynthia actually wrote a book that talks <laughs> on a very layperson level on yeah. how to understand some of the I basics. Edited it, yeah. edited it yeah. yes, but um, yeah, mention that. Yeah, I mean, so it's we're all about commercials here. <laughs> I could give you plenty. Um, so the the second book I did, the first one was a monograph on my dissertation. That, that was the boring one I was talking about, um, the food in ancient Judah. But the second one is called The Five-Minute Archaeologist. And it's a small volume of about 50 or so chapters that are about a 1,000 words each. So they're small, bite-sized, um, and written by... Chapters written on different parts of, you know, just questions that people ask about people who to people who do archaeology in this region, and um, you know, from how, what's a tell, how do you decide where to dig, who, um, how is it funded, where do you stay, um, how do you date things, what happens to the things after you find them. Uh, what is household archaeology? What is experimental archaeology? And some all sorts of different things. Of course, it's not exhaustive. There's no way it could possibly be because there's just so many things you could do. I mean, maybe we'll do a volume two with more questions. But um, it's really good. It's inexpensive. It's five-minute archaeologists in the Southern Levant. And um, it addresses those those questions. So. Very cool. So if you're interested in learning more, Five Minute Archaeologists, they can find that on Amazon, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Bef before we let you go, I want to just ask uh, an annoying question that I'm sure you get asked all the time. In fact, we did a little Q&A last night and you, you answered sort of a version of this question. But just because it's fun for our <laughs> listeners, maybe can you tell us a story for maybe the last like year or two of something odd, interesting, surprising, weird that you found on a dig or, you know, forget the time frame. It can be at any point. Okay. It doesn't need to be the last year or two. Uh, and I'm not going to ask for best, weirdest, all that, because that puts <laughs> a lot of pressure on the story. Yeah. But maybe give us one. It can be something weird. It can be something very compelling or interesting mm. or, or, or moving, you know, things that move you in some way. Uh, yeah. Tell us one story yeah. as we begin to wrap up. You know, the, the things that move me, though, are, are when I go, when I was talking about the, the pot with the handle and you can see the thumbprint type yeah. of thing. That that gets me every time. Um, and it's nice to remember those things when you're doing this manual labor and you go, why am I doing this? Why am I up so early in the heat doing this? That's why. Um, but, um, and it's funny because in the Five Minute Archaeologist, I say these things in the introduction. These are the types of questions that we get asked mm -hmm. all the time. Well, what's yeah. the most interesting thing you found? Sure. Type of thing. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different answers to that. Um, but I would say um, I, I was telling the story last night about how on one off-season we were digging in a tomb, a Phoenician tomb on the northern coast of Israel that hadn't been robbed and it was just full of, it's a little tomb. There's only about three of us could fit in there. And we had to take our shoes off, which in archaeology is a, is a no-no. Hmm. Um, but we had to take our shoes off because it was just full of things and we didn't want to break anything. And yeah. we had to sit down, which you normally also don't do. And we had to use dental tools because they were small finds, very hmm. kind of small, fragile things. And we just, um, and we had a lot of 
we had a skeletal remains, which is another issue in Israel, which I won't get into. But one of the skeletons was of a little girl, probably about around the age of eight, I think the uh, expert said. And she had her jewelry still on her. Wow. Yeah. You talk about humanizing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was weird, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what other words I could possibly, I mean, weird, weird but, weird cool. but I mean, cool. and, well, and cause you just don't see, I'm assuming you don't see that level of, or you just don't see that very often. No, I guess. you don't get skeletal remains often yeah. at all. Yeah. In, in fact, if you do, it's a whole issue within the country right. with not disturb, you know, with the skeletal remains. Although one fun thing is a lot of our group came to Albright tonight and got to look in their archaeological lab <laughs> and touch uh, crusader bones. Yeah. So, you, yeah. Know, you know, just to throw those type of things out to talk about the fun, funny things. I went to Israel and I got to touch some crusader bones. Yeah. So, got that going for well, me. Well, when so. you come to the Albright, you get you get to do and see things and be around things that you just normally don't get to. So I'm glad you guys were able to come yeah. and enjoy it. Oh, and this is an amazing place. We have proper Palestinian grill. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we had a great evening. A bunch of folks from our tour group came here and, and Albright uh, cooked us just an incredible meal. And uh, Cynthia was kind enough to stay up late with us and do the podcast. We tried to do the live video at home and that didn't quite work, which is why we had to Go on at 9 p.m. here local time <laughs> to try to do 11 a.m. But uh, but thank you so much You're for so for the time. This I'm conversation was really here. fun. And uh, you know, hey, to uh, half a world away to half meet someone away. that works in our works in, in our backyard. same town in our in our backyard. <laughs> but um, thank you for the work that you do. Thanks oh, for sharing your insights. It's a really fun Absolutely. conversation. My so privilege. good. All right, and thanks to you for listening to season one, episode 26 of the Engaging Culture podcast. We will be back. So look for that here in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.